You are listening to Movie Babble Presents Babble with Brennan, Episode 5. I'm your host, Brennan Dubay, and you can check out some other Movie Babble-related content on our website at www.moviebabblereviews.com. You can also check out some other content on our Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Movie Babble Presents Babble with Brennan. I'm here with Nick and Colin. Going to be a great episode today. We're going to kind of talk about some of our kind of film inspirations and some of the movies that really uh, drew us towards kind of the medium and kind of some of our big, bigger uh, impact films, films that really impacted us uh, when we were young, growing up, and then some of the movies that really got us into wanting to um, dive into film in a much deeper way. Um, Nick, Colin, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty good. Uh, just got out of class, so <laughs> ready to talk about some films and a little bit more interesting stuff. Gents, I'm doing really good because for the first time in probably like, what, 10 years, we don't have to talk about The Lion King in a podcast. So uh, <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> Very good on my end. Uh, yeah, we might have to talk about the uh, 90s one, but we're, we're definitely not touching that 2019 <laughs> Lion King remake that's... <laughs> It's not something we're going to touch again on the podcast for a long, long time, hopefully. Um, so I'll, I'll start off with this one. Um, I got a couple films here that I'm kind of just going to throw out there. Jurassic Park is a movie that I saw as a kid, and it kind of it didn't spark my love for dinosaurs. I think that's something that every little kid has an interest in, dinosaurs, such a huge kind of part of your uh, childhood. Um, and Jurassic Park's a film that kind of, it, it, it it's so awe-inspiring, and I... I wish I could have been alive in 93 to go see it in theaters. I think that would have been like, like mind blowing, kind of one of the greatest events. I mean, in terms of, um, film, I mean, I know so many people that st- so many people that still feel the impacts of that film today and just what it was like to experience that in, in theaters, such an incredible, incredible event. That's one film that, while it's not one that kind of influenced me into loving film, it, it is something that, I will always think about and always kind of consider one of my favorites. Another one is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, that's a movie that really got me into pirates. I always dressed up as a pirate after that movie. Uh, <laughs> that movie was everything. And then it wasn't just that, but the rest of the franchise, even as the, the movie's kind of a little bit, the, the returns were a little bit more diminishing as the franchise went on. And I can uh, acknowledge that now at this age. But back when I was a kid, I loved pretty much every movie in that franchise until uh, probably the fourth one. That's when I kind of realized, yeah, I got to jump ship. Um, But those are kind of two of the major films as a kid that really impacted me and kind of drew me towards kind of wanting to be a pirate as a kid and wanting to uh, study dinosaurs as a kid. Um, But some of the other bigger movies, I'm going to touch on one right now that is kind of the first film that it kind of is kind of on the top of the pedestal for me. Um, it's Peter Jackson's King Kong. Um, the 2005 King Kong is a film that the first time I saw it, I was, I was pretty young. So that's not what drew me to film originally, but I always revisit this movie every year or so. And as I started to grow up a little bit, it kind of interested me more, um, kind of who was behind the camera, what kind of more the aspects of, how this actually got made. Now that is a film that I think can be remembered for many different things. There are a lot of people that have kind of bad memories with that film. Some people who have more fond memories with that film. 
Um, but I mean, when it came out, it was definitely received really well critically. I mean, it's a film that's 84 percent Rotten Tomatoes. It's a three time Academy Award winning film. So in my opinion, it's it's, it's a prestigious film in that regard. But uh, it's a film that definitely impacted me greatly. And it's one that I'll definitely always think about just because still today, I think I can recite most of that script, even though it's a three hour long film. Um, I'll touch on a few more later on, but I just kind of wanted to throw it to you guys. What are kind of some of your um, higher impact films and what's your take on a couple of mine so far? So, I mean, Jurassic Park is amazing. And actually, I have like sort of memories of watching uh, the first three Jurassic movies as a kid, but it wasn't something that I got super into until later on. Uh, But as far as some of my movies go, and uh, the first movie I'm going to talk about, I actually have no real recollection of, but I've been told this story a million times by my mom, so I'm going to take it as true. Uh, But when I was two years old, they took me to see Elmo and Grouchland, and apparently (laughs) I I did not talk or like bug them the entire hour and a half. Like I just sat there and stared at the amazing puppetry going on in front of me. Um, (laughs) So there's that. But like Men in Black is a movie that I've probably seen more than any other movie ever. Like I own it on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray right now if I were to look hard enough. Um, Like I've just seen this movie dozens of times. And then uh, Spider-Man 2 has been my favorite movie uh, probably since 2004. I think there was like a couple week period where one of the movies I'm going to touch on in a minute was my favorite movie, but Spider-Man 2 has just always been a, a big one for me. And then the movie that first really got me into thinking about movies other than, you know, for the two hours you're sitting there watching it was uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, that's the first time I really remember going to the theater and all the hype before the movie and and that being just such a huge event. And it's weird to be, you know, in 2019, kind of going through that again with another end to Star Wars. Um, not as permanent of an end, but kind of the same deal. Yeah, I want to go back to Brennan for a second. So I thought that was really interesting because you know, King Kong is one of your favorites. I'm curious if you ever went back to the original King Kong and kind of what your relationship was to that after kind of after seeing the Peter Jackson version for so many, like for so many years. Oh, for sure. I think... Um... My my dad, who was he wasn't a big King Kong fan, but I mean, when the 2005 one came out, it was so highly anticipated, just like a remake of King Kong this day and age. So I remember watching it um, when he first brought it back from Blockbuster back in 2006, when the movie probably got released, kind of to street, not streaming. Oh my gosh, dating myself there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it got released to DVD um, and kind of rentals, um, the good old days. Um, but I, I remember that really well. And it's a film that if you had to ask me what my favorite movie is, I always say Finding Nemo or Jurassic Park to kind of to kind of pretend because those are a little bit more uh, widely accepted. But King Kong is 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 the one that's probably my favorite movie, the 2005 one. And what you're saying, I definitely did go and kind of research the older films. And that's kind of one of the reasons I got um, one of the reasons I attribute this as one of my kind of more influential movies because when I got a little bit older, I kept kind of revisiting the movie as I grew up. When I turned probably 10, 11, I started kind of um, kind of using the internet, or, as you will, uh, more freely. Um, and I kind of researched what this film came from, the older King Kongs, the 1976 one, which is abysmal, but is still very entertaining to me. <laughs> and then uh, 
obviously the 1933 classic and I went out and it was like my first Amazon purchase was to get that um, when I was young with some Christmas or birthday money saved up and I actually I've only seen it twice the 1933 one but um, my relationship with that movie is definitely very positive as well and it didn't really change my opinion on the 05 one at all um, but those are two movies that I definitely would regard as some of my favorites but the 05 one it's the one I grew up with and um it'll definitely stay near and dear for me. Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, just, like, even going through, like, the beginning of this podcast, it's just funny to see how much of a time capsule all this is and just to kind of see, like, like, even for Pirates of the Caribbean, it's, like, for people that are, what, five, six years younger than us, they have nothing but disdain for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise because <laughs> they kind of grew up with, like, maybe the third or, like, the fourth one or maybe even the last one, which is one of the more forgettable movies like of the decade. Um, so it's, and even like with Spider-Man too, like I would have loved to see that in the theaters, you know, that's something for its time. It was just one of the most remarkable things, but now people grow up and they see Endgame <laughs> like in the theater <laughs> and they see like Spider-Man riding, riding like on a Pegasus <laughs> as like <laughs> millions of like things are exploding and it's, they go back to Spider-Man two. It's like, Oh yeah, that was, that's that was something. Um, so I don't know, that's just really interesting. And the kind of like going, going into my films from there, it's, I mean, my mine are some of the more basic movies like you will ever hear. Um, mostly because they're just on TV all the time, uh, which is why I think that's really interesting that I, the, I actually talked to my mom <laughs> about like for this podcast. I was like, what movies do you remember me watching all the time? And she rattled off um, Shawshank Redemption, which is just like the most standard choice ever. Uh, Pulp Fiction. And Forrest Gump, which is just really funny because those three movies, like either if they're on AMC or TNT or one of the movie channels, like they're always on. And so it was probably, I don't know, just me being in the room and my my dad had it on. It's like, oh, these are cool movies. And I just was just there passively taking it in for years, probably until um, I got old enough. But yeah, it's funny because I mean, I like Forrest Gump now, but it's. Not a movie I would probably return to now as much as I did when I was little. And um, <laughs> it's funny because when I was eight, eight years old, I uh, I dressed up as Forrest Gump for Halloween. Um, <laughs> I had the I had the running shoes, I had the the plaid uh, dress shirt, and the uh, kind of like the beige uh, suit suit jacket. It was just it was like the whole nine yards, and it's just it is so funny to think about all these th things. It's just it's kind of just growing up in the times you're growing up. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's just really neat to look at how different generations are shaped around film. And I think, as you said, going back to um, kind of some of the movies you grew up with, and then obviously Colin with kind of Spider-Man 2, um, kind of remembering how big that was and Revenge of the Sith. And now today, I feel like it's just so, um, the market is so crowded. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but you have so many Star Wars movies coming out all the time, so many uh, Marvel movies coming out all the, all the time, and it's just such a weird time we live in, and it'll be neat to kind of see the kids that are maybe 9, 10, 11, 5, 10 years, maybe 15 years from now, and kind of what they attribute to some of their inspirations. Yeah, I wonder if it's like, it's something like Endgame, like someone, someone who was like, Seven, seven years old went and saw that it was like one of the first movies they ever saw in a theater and like that's their movie um so like it's just so interesting to think about and just like how it'll shape just like discourse in general moving forward it's 
it's very bizarre because um, it's like something will be on TV for forever. And that's part of the reason why Shawshank is just so much popular just because I mean, the whole backstory was that Ted Turner bought Castle Rock Entertainment and he was like, sweet, <laughs> I have this movie that fits perfectly into like ad time. It's like a little less than two and a half hours. So I can throw in a bunch of ads and make a ton of money off of it and play it all the time. That's what made it popular. Um, and that now, like now, like, do we have that? I don't know. Maybe it's just like film Twitter just like freaks out about a movie, which makes people see it <laughs> like more and more times. Um, it's really interesting, but I guess if I had to narrow it down, I think of those three for me, it was definitely Pulp Fiction, which was like the biggest one, um, followed very closely by Shawshank. I mean, it's just so basic. I mean, like, what do you say about Pulp Fiction at this point? Um, but I never seen a movie capture coolness in that in that way before. Um, I had I just didn't understand like the out of order part of it and how it all interconnected and why it was like that. Um, I just kind of saw like really cool like arch characters and Bruce Willis like grabbing for a katana blade and I'm like holy shit <laughs> this is like the greatest thing ever. I think like a movie like that is such an interesting culture shock because it's like it's so specific and like so shocking at points and such a like a really fun grindhouse. I mean it's just kind of tarantino's thing but um just something like that it's just so striking that when you're young you're like holy shit like what like what is this uh, and i think that's kind of the same for the other two those other two films as well shawshank and forrest gump um yeah it's it's just i can't i can't get over like the first time just watching that it's like holy crap like movies are like sweet you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think for me growing up like the only thing so so basically like the deal was you know it's whatever my parents want to watch and so like my mom would always watch hgtv and my dad would watch movies um but the only movies he ever really watched were star wars or anything with stallone or schwarzenegger so my like film vocabulary wasn't too big uh growing up and it really wasn't until i got older and got a tv in my room when i was a senior in high school and like was able to start watching things that i wanted to watch other than just like the same action movies, which don't get me wrong. If you put one of those on, I will still watch it to the end, but um, it was really my chance to kind of expand. And that's really where Shawshank came in and whiplash came in. And I kind of was able to really branch out and get into new stuff and look at everything in a different light. hundred percent. I think it's just, it's just such a neat thing to kind of explore and just kind of the different influences that really move people from when they were young. I think parents are definitely a huge influence in terms of film. Um, but however, I don't attribute a lot of the movies on my list um, to my parents, besides one that I'll go into right now, and it's uh, The Planet of the Apes from 1968. Um, this is another film that I have on my list here. And I remember kind of when I was young, my dad was a fan of Star Wars, um, not a huge fan, but after a couple of years after it came out, he kind of got into it. And then he introduces me when I was young. And um, that's a that's kind of a, a very ex- accessible kind of franchise to to watch. I think Planet of the Apes for a young child is not something that, I mean, while yes, it is uh, talking apes, it's, there's a lot, there's a little bit more there in terms of themes and it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit slower paced than Star Wars. So when I got a little bit of age, he introduced me to the uh, Planet of the Apes franchise and the first film, the ending of the first film absolutely blew my mind. I remember as a kid, it blew my mind and I wanted to watch the second one right away. Um, even though, I mean, the rest of them aren't that great. Uh, there are a few in there that I think are good, but I mean, they made four films after that first one and not, not a lot of them are all that great at all. But the first film was, uh, it was just so mind blowing to me and it's one that I'll definitely, 
always kind of revisit. And I'm so happy that the um, rebooted franchise this decade was great. And that original film is actually no longer my favorite Planet of the Apes movie, but it is definitely probably the most um, influential or impactful. What's your favorite um, Planet of the Apes movie now? Um, by far, it's War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I remember, I mean, the hype for that for me was just everything. And I'll be honest, there's almost, since I saw it on opening night in 2017, a little over two years ago, um, there hasn't been a day where I haven't thought about it. I kid you not. It's, it's definitely in my top <laughs> wow. 10. It's definitely my top 10, probably top five all time. Love War for the Planet of the Apes. Probably my favorite of the decade. I mean, if you had to ask me. Um, but that's, that's a movie I definitely love. And uh, definitely, I, I don't like to watch it a lot, though. I've only seen it three times total. I think it's one that I'll definitely want to cherish and only watch kind of once every two years, maybe now from now on, because it's one that I don't want to kind of lose the magic of. I mean, there are some movies that you dig and you can just play forever. That's not one of those movies, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's that's my favorite now out of that franchise. Yeah, it's it's really interesting kind of kind of just seeing how your relationship to these films changes over time. And I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but. I mean, Forrest Gump is like, it's really fun. And like, there's a lot of hate for that movie now. I think it's part <laughs> of the reason was because just it, it won Best Picture over all the other two films on my list, coincidentally, Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. And um, just, there's, it's just a lot of stuff going on in it. Um, it's just, but it's very interesting to kind of see track that. And I think a lot of these movies are really fun gateways into film because they're, I don't want to call them obvious, but they have a lot of like cool visceral things that you can, that someone who's younger can completely understand. Um, but then you kind of revisit it as you grow older and uh, there's just so much more there. Like I, I, we watched a few clips of Shawshank in preparation for this, for this podcast. And um, like, I just watching the roof scene and um, Tim Robbins, which is that little smirk on his face as he's sitting in the shade as the sunset is, on their backs and he's just smiling and the Thomas Newman score, which is I think my, probably my favorite score in movie history is playing. It still gives me chills to this day. Um, it's, it's so great. And I kind of love just kind of seeing how tastes change over time. It's something that's, I'm very interested in what I've done a lot recently when I've, cause I mean, I've gotten really into film in the past few years and it's really interesting to kind of, you know, just look back at films I used to love and see what they mean to me. But so that one Shawshank is just, it's it's such a basic choice once again but man it is it is so great it still gets me every time it's so wonderful and i yeah i it can't get enough of it it's just it's just so so great yeah 1994 sounds like a pretty good year for movies yeah someone should get on that someone should get on that (laughs) (laughs) um colin i know that you had a chance to see shawshank in theaters um not too long ago as it being the 25th anniversary this year and how was that experience yeah, so that, um, I've been waiting for that for months. Like, they announced it, I think, earlier in June. And I've literally checked the uh, uh, Fathom website once a week, just waiting for tickets to go up. Uh, because, like, I've there are very few movies that I felt like I really needed to see on the big screen. I mean, obviously, if you put some on the big screen, I'll go see it. But um, it was it was great, like, just to really be immersed in that. And I mean, there's just such a difference between watching a movie um, on your TV at home versus watching it in the theater. Like you're, for the most part, completely blocked off from distractions unless you're just kind of a dick and you pull your phone out. But 
Um, like you're completely immersed in it. And just like Thomas Newman's score just really overpowers you. And oh man, like every every shot that Roger Deakins did for that movie is just beautiful. Like I would I would hang every image from that movie up on my wall if I could. It was just such a great experience to revisit it and to be able to just be a part of it almost as if, you know, I were there in 94 when it opened. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, it's such a great thing that they still kind of put out kind of classics back into theaters. I think it's something that, um, they, they theaters do it somewhat frequently, but I, I'd love to see even more of it. Like, uh, I think it'd be so much fun if a kind of a mainstream theater did like once a week kind of put out a classic um i think that'd be pretty fun because it's it's a way to kind of not only let people revisit um some old movies that they love but it's a way to kind of maybe introduce it to a younger audience and maybe you bring bring your kids or you bring relatives or people that haven't seen the film before that are a little bit of a younger generation Um, i think that'd be a cool thing for theaters to do Um, another film i want to touch on real quick actually kind of because it has a little bit of a relation to Shawshank is uh, The Green Mile. That's another one that I have on my list here. That's a film that I haven't seen too many times, but it's probably the uh, it's probably the most heartbreaking movie I watched just in terms of like my reaction to it. Um, I watched it. I wasn't too, too young, but I, I was still uh, kind of I wasn't quite a teenager. I was kind of transitioning into that. And it's a pretty heavy movie, but I, the themes that they touch on in that film are some are themes that I'll definitely, uh, it, it definitely stuck with me, that movie, and just kind of the themes of death and uh, everything in there. I mean, that's a that's a pretty tough one. I know that's a movie that hasn't kind of been as universally praised um, in the years following its release, but it's still a movie that got a lot of praise back when it came out in 1999. Yeah, it's funny enough, I've never seen it. It's one of the movies I just have never seen. It's kind of funny going back to your um, kind of your, your theater talk. There's I was waiting to see Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen for my very first time seeing it, and there was a Fathom event a few weeks ago, and I just was lazy and <laughs> I just didn't go to it. Uh, I missed my chance. So I hope they kind of take you up on that and put these films back out again. But yeah, I that's another one I would like to see. I'd probably like to see Green Mile on the big screen too because it has that. Epi- it's definitely from what I understand, very epic and it's very long. That'd be be a cool thing to see on big screen. 100%. Um, I know, I don't know for you guys, but I know a lot of theaters near me are playing 2001 uh, next week. Uh, I think that's probably the film that's probably played the most uh, in cinemas today. I think that's kind of one of the films that is kind of replayed almost every year, if I'm not kind of mistaken on that. Yeah, and it's really funny because that's actually... Now I'm thinking about it. It's like I was as I was transitioning to kind of just being a grown human. <laughs> it's like a, one of the first movies that I really dove into was 2001, and it was like such the typical thing where it's like I was in college for like a few months, and it's like yeah, I'm I understand the world, like I know things. It's like like the total like disillusioned like cliche that you see like in all like media of like college people who think they have the world or the world figured out, but uh. I just I put in 2001. I was like, all right, I'm gonna understand and unpack this really famous film. And then the last 15, 10, 15 minutes happened, and my mouth dropped, and I just was very confused <laughs> for like two, three hours afterwards. I had no idea what happened, and it was just it was one of the first movies that really just I guess in my adulthood that really challenged me uh, to think about films differently, which is really fun. And I've 
I mean, I've seen it now probably like what, like nine, ten times. It's just something you can always go back to because there's just always more there. And I think that's the mark of just a transcendent movie, which obviously it is. <laughs> I actually got to see that in IMAX last year, I believe. And it was the first time I'd seen it probably in five or ten years. And it was just mind-blowing how well everything holds up visually and just like how ahead of its time it is even now. Yeah, the space shots are like they're they're still um, they can they still hold up today somewhat. They still look pretty good, and I mean, um, definitely Star Wars took a lot from that film in terms of just influence in terms of space in general, because um, it did come out nearly a decade, almost a decade beforehand, and that that's just the space shots in general are just crazy in two thousand one, and they've they've held up for so long. It's it's probably the oldest film that isn't completely dated yet what i've always found really interesting about that though is uh 2001 and planet of the apes released on the same day in 68 which is just mind-blowing that probably the two most influential science fiction films of at least that decade um you could make a good argument for that century released on the exact same day and (laughs) yeah it's a neat thing that's something that i didn't really connect until a few months ago and um, while Planet of the Apes probably lives in 2001 shadow in terms of just the impact overall, it is still a pretty influential and impactful film and franchise. But yeah, it's, it, that's a really neat kind of point that they came out, uh, that same day. That that's just kind of mind blowing. I mean, that, that's probably one of the better weekends in, in cinema. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of those cool things that happens like all the time. Like wasn't another one like Blade Runner and the thing came out at the same time or they're like right around each other. And I think they were like three weeks after ET or one of those things. Like, it's just it's kind of crazy how these things happen from time to time. And it feels like it happens like once, like every decade or so it's just, it's really fascinating. It'll be neat to see 10, 15, 20 years from now, the movies that either were released this year, last year, year before that um, are still talked about 20 years from now that came out, uh, say the same month or the same two weeks from each other. I think it'll be really neat to look at that decades down. I mean, I can look at it now. We had Hellboy, and then a week later we had Endgame. So <laughs> I don't really see anything bigger than that. God, uh, what a what a masterpiece that Hellboy! Just a beautiful motion picture. Back to back weekends of uh, a lot of fun <laughs> at the movie theater. <laughs> Um, another movie I got on my list here is one that's a little bit more of an acquired taste just because of who was behind the camera and just because of the controversy it stirred. Um, but as a kid, I was, a, I, I completely, even though I'm the only Canadian on this podcast, I was completely in love with American history and American politics. And I, uh, which is a weird thing to say in 2019, just considering all the turmoil. But when I was a kid, it was all innocent and, um, uh, I, I, I love just kind of the history of the presidents and the film actually that I have here is JFK in 1991, Oliver Stone's JFK. Um, the reason I have it there is because um, not only what it means to me, I know that there's a lot in that film that was kind of, obviously it's, it's a very um, fantasized movie in terms of, of where they took things and the direction they took things. Um, but I will say it's kind of one of those movies that made me research a lot more. It's kind of one of those movies that impacted me, um, a lot just in terms of the subject matter. And it's also a film that, um, when you look back on it, it, it really changed kind of society. I mean, there are movies today that, um, kind of get into public discourse, but this is a film that was just 
it, it, it literally changed things. I mean, people didn't really trust the government after this movie. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not kind of putting it on my list to kind of remember that in a, in a good way, but it, I'm kind of putting it on my list to, to kind of just remember how impactful movies can be just all across society. Yeah, no doubt. It's just, it also reminds me of all the president's men as well. would have that kind of the same effect. And I'm, I believe, I assume that's probably a movie that a lot of people gravitate to as one of their favorites or what them, what got them in the film too. It's just, there's something about that intrigue and that political interest. It's just, it's really fascinating when it works tremendously. Yeah. I mean, JFK is a film that, I mean, love it or hate it. it it's a, it's, a, it's quite the journey. I mean, it's like a, it's a three hour movie almost. And, um, there's, there's a lot in there and it's a film that I'm definitely going to have to revisit soon, but I mean, Oliver Stone's quite, quite a wild dude and, uh, he's, he's had a spotty career, but I mean, that's a movie that I'll definitely always kind of remember. Yeah. All I have to say about that is, is, uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Um, kids, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> So, I mean, uh, obviously ch- tastes evolve as we kind of grow up and we were kind of touching on that, but um, there are definitely a few other really impactful films that got all of us into really looking into movies deeper, not just things that impacted us when we were a little bit younger, but things that really wanted us to go out and get involved. Um, Nick, I mean, since you're the creator of Movie Babble, uh, obviously there's there's had to have been a lot of movies that really influenced you. What's, what's uh, kind of one of the major ones um, as you started to grow up? Ooh, creator of Movie Babble sound has a really nice ring to it, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> just to my own horn there. Uh, so one of the f- few things, one of the few movies that just, it kind of blew my mind once it was like explained to me was I was in a film class. I think it was my junior year. It was like right about when I was about to either start the site or I had started it, but I was like very much in the infancy stage of it. But it was, it was Singing in the Rain, which is, just, I mean, everyone loves that movie as well. It's it's not something that we need to rediscover. It's tremendous. It's one of the best movies ever made. Um, it's, I my my top ten list always changes. Like I, my favorite movies of all time always change. But if someone asks me for my top ten, Singing in the Rain is just always there. It always finds its way in there. Um, and it all started when this this professor we had. It was kind of like an intro class. We were talking about different parts of filmmaking, and one of them was just. Uh, a whole hour and a half discussion of sound in movies. Uh, and one of the big mo- things you brought up was Singing in the Ring. I mean, it makes sense because the whole movie is about transitioning from the silent era of film into the talkies. That's um, just revolving all around that. And he broke down for about, it was probably like a good half hour, 45 minutes. He broke down the, uh, the scene in which they are uh, doing one of the first shoots of the talk, the talkie and, Alina Lamont is messing with her pearls and all the sound is off and they keep trying, they keep having to readjust where the microphone is. And he, he showed us that in that scene, there is an, an obvious dubbing of one of the characters. He's it's, it's hard to explain without the visual, but in a sense, the, the movie, it's kind of like waving your hand where something's behind, like over to your right, where something's happening to the other side, it's distracting you to the point where, there's such an obvious dubbing of a character who's literally just like shaking his head like a bozo. And they just like put dialogue in there is that you like based on where your attention is, you just assume that that's what he's saying, but then you look at it and focus in on it. And it's just, 
him just being a doofus in the movie playing with you and that and that kind of that that feel is just all throughout this movie uh, and he just broke it down and it was like such like a like a watershed moment it was like holy shit <laughs> like like this movie is so incredible and it's so timeless in that way and it just like the whole movie is just discussing how what sound does to the to the individual who's watching the movie and how he can manipulate manipulate you and um it's it's so cool, and I, I wish I could recreate that somehow because it was one of the most incredible experiences of just having someone who's just really intelligent and loves film just kind of just sit down with you for like 30, 45 minutes and just show you what exactly, like how at the root of this movie, like what it's doing that's so well and why, and like that, and why people love it. Uh, it's just it's tremendous. And yeah, Sing in the Rain, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, it's just it's just one of the greatest things ever and i still love it and watch it from time to time it's just so great that's a movie um i haven't seen actually so that's definitely one i'll i mean it's it's obviously kind of one that i always have thinking about just because people talk about it a lot and it's probably one i'll put on my list really to check out just for that but yeah that, that's really neat i mean it's it's uh when did it come out again was that 1952 i believe yeah off the top of my head and it still kind of holds up today as kind of one of the uh, greater films. And a lot of people still today put it on lists of greatest films of all time. And it's just a really neat thing. Um, one film, actually, I'll, I'll talk about that inspired me to uh, join Movie Babble um, is uh, not a movie like th- this is a film that I really enjoyed, but I didn't. It's, it's not a movie that I will say I'm in love with. It's not like a masterpiece, but it's Avengers Infinity War. Um <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the film, obviously, but what I I've never, loved... I've never heard of I've never heard of this one before. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty obscure. I'm bringing the uh, obscurity to the podcast tonight. Um, but uh, Infinity War is a film that, just because of the public involvement uh, around it, it made me want to get involved in a deeper conversation, and it made me want to like not a conversation about that movie, but just kind of I wanted my voice to be heard a little bit more in terms of film. And just kind of what was going on and just the way that the world um, got in line for that movie and then even more so for Endgame, um, it, it, it excited me for film. I mean, I know it's, it's not a it's not they're not art house movies, obviously, but but it just got me excited to, to kind of try to go out there and talk about movies a little bit more and put my own input out there about film. And that's actually what inspired me to uh, join the site. Oh, you're gonna make me cry over here. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Uh, what about you, Colin? What are some? As I became an adult, I actually hate film, um, <laughs> which is why I joined this podcast. I uh, know um, uh, for me it was uh, more of my film awakening, if you want to call it that. It was in high school. Um, I had an AP language class where we would also watch movies as part of uh, AP language, just because it's a good way to get a read on stories and that kind of thing. And uh, two of the movies that we watched were Whiplash and then The Shawshank Redemption. And I hadn't seen either one of them before that. I'd heard of Shawshank, but I didn't really know what it was. And just watching both of those movies, uh, Whiplash just kind of blew my mind because it was the first indie movie I'd really seen. Um, Just to see something that's this really intimate father-son story and done on just such a small scale and then uh, that was shortly before La La Land came out, so that really introduced me to Damien Giselle and kind of uh, got me into the indie world. And then uh, Shawshank, it's, I mean, it's its just a magical movie. Like, there's just so much excellence in it. Um, it's hard to 
find anything not to like about it and not to really engage with. And um, Andy's story just really kind of spoke to me a lot. And I, it's, it's definitely those two movies that got me thinking, you know, a little bit more seriously about, yeah, like, you know, Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars is pretty cool, but there's also this other stuff that can actually speak to you and, and put something meaningful as far as, you know, a lesson or an idea out into the world. And uh, it's all been uphill from there. <laughs> I love that choice of Whiplash because it is one of those movies where, like, you have those really visceral visceral moments where J.K. Simmons is throwing chairs, <laughs> he's, he's screaming, and he's just being wild. And that ending is one of the, like, the mo- like, the best stand-up and cheer endings of the decade. And it's just so great. And then you also just have a really good discussion of psychology and, like, what you can lose in the pursuit to be great. And I think there's a lot to mine there. And I think that is one of those things where it's, it's an indie movie that's incredibly accessible, but it's also, there's just so many layers to it. You can just keep peeling back the onion, which is, I think is, it's an, I think it's a really great gateway movie for people to get more interested in film yeah. in general. And I think it's just a really big Testament to Damien Chazelle's potential. And I mean, we've, we've seen that with La La Land and I know first man wasn't received as well, but I think it's just up there with the other two. Um, but like he manages to pack a lot of these really complex things in with a lot of more of the obvious. And it's just what makes all three of those movies really memorable and really terrific. If you ask me. hundred percent. I mean, you look at obviously just kind of touching on Damien Chazelle there and the potential you're talking about. I mean, I know he has, he had a little bit of a smaller movie guy and Matt, Guy and Madeline on a park bench. And then you kind of look at uh, whiplash, La La Land, first man. I mean, this guy's really hitting it out of the park each time now, and it'll be really neat to see. I mean, you look at those three films alone, they have 23 Academy award nominations between those three films alone. Um, he's going to have one hell of a career. Uh, another movie I wanted to touch on was one that I actually saw not too long ago. It was this year. Um, and it's a film by Agnes Varda called Cleo from five to seven. Uh, oh, great pick. I haven't yeah. seen this movie, but I know it's tremendous from everything I've heard. <laughs> It's it's really really solid and it's it's a movie that um, I, I watched in a in a university film class and every week obviously we just watch a different film discuss it afterwards and it's it's a movie that was put on I didn't really know anything about it and um, it just kind of took me away and I was really really um, kind of stuck in that world for for the ninety minutes that it's on and it's it's really 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 a good film and it made me kind of think about um, movies a little bit differently and different techniques you can use to, or you can kind of go about making films with Cleo from five to seven is a movie that um, while I respect a lot of the themes that they touched on in the film, it, it kind of just made me think differently about how movies can be made. Um, and it, it's such a neat film. And one of the weird things about it is a few days later, um, this isn't really that relevant, but Agnes Bard actually passed away about two days after I saw it. And it was, uh, it was just kind of a, it was a weird moment. It, it was a weird moment, but I mean, that's a movie that I saw not too long ago and I'll definitely remember it for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's a movie that I've been kind of circling around for, for a while and it's just a matter of time before I see it. Um, it's, yeah. And especially, I think that was brought on also by Agnes Varda uh, passing away tragically, but uh, yeah, it's, that's a movie that's very much on my list, and I think that's, I mean, just everyone who's seen it is just like, yeah, this is like one of the best, like, not even like French movies, just like one of the bench movie, best movies ever. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that's a great, that's a great, great pick. I'm happy you mentioned that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I definitely want to 
want to revisit it a second time uh, as soon as possible, 100%, and definitely recommend it. Yeah, and that kind of gets into, like, one of my movies that, um, well, I, I kind of have two that are kind of lumped together here. Um, one is kind of more of the obvious one, because um, it should have won Best Picture last year, which was Roma. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm not going to get into Green Book discussion again. Um, I'm already tired just by saying the name Green Book. Uh, <laughs> but this movie is just incredible. Um, it's something, I mean, like, I've, I've seen movies like this before, and um, very much, and this, it's not incredibly original uh, that it feels like I'm kind of digging it, but there's just other movies that kind of kind of go on like a similar discussion in such an intimate way. But just the way Alfonso Cuaron directed that directed Roma is just, it is just so beautiful in so many ways. And it's just one of those movies where like the deep focus of the camera, you can just kind of see people hanging out in the background and you just kind of see life unfolding <laughs> and just like the most like, just quiet ways. And it's just one of the most beautiful things like I've ever seen. Uh, definitely one of my favorite movies of the decade, um, which kind of brings me to one of my other favorite movies of the decade, which also came out last year, which is uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, um, starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, as just another one of his just tortured souls kind of characters. Um, basically, it's taken, um, but very, very good and thoughtful. Um, <laughs> so for those people who haven't seen it, um, it's basically Joaquin. Yeah. He's playing a uh, taking character. He's uh, people. He's kind of one of those guys who's he's, he's an ex soldier and he goes out and said, people say, Hey, I need you to get this person for me, or I need you to get this job for me. And he kind of operates outside the lawn. Um, kind of just goes about his business. And it's one of those movies where just violence is, just always a bummer in this movie. It's never ever like uh, just there's, they never kind of sensationalize it at all. Everything is just damaging. And you, it's just like this incredible character study of just, just PTSD and someone just like losing just track of humanity altogether. And it has one of the most mesmerizing uh, shots I've ever seen in a movie. Um, it's a, a really just wonderful lake scene and it's Johnny Greenwood's score who's just done basically every Paul Thomas Anderson movie and just every great score of the past few years um it's just overwhelming it's it's one of those movies it's it's less than 90 minutes long but it packs a wallop and it's I just it's like what you were mentioning earlier Brennan with one of your films I just always am thinking about this movie and I'm always watching clips from it and returning to it um it is it is a special special movie and I hope more people go see it yeah, and that, that's one that another one that shamefully I'll say that I haven't checked out yet, but it's it's one that I'll definitely check out soon. Um, and great praise from you there definitely makes me want to want to see it more. Um, but yeah, that's a movie that's definitely been been really well received and uh, just such a neat neat thing. And that's the beautiful thing about movies as well. I mean, if you've seen five thousand movies, you aren't even close to done yet. There's <laughs> there's so much out there um, in history, and there's there's just you're always learning with this medium, and it's it's such a neat such a neat thing yeah and i kind of actually want to play off that point um so i'll take it back to revenge of the sith a little bit but uh <laughs> ever since that dvd came out i've always really been fascinated with bonus features and uh, more recently with commentary tracks but so revenge of the sith was i remember watching that movie and then i was like you're kidding me that was only two hours i need more and just like sitting there some Saturday morning out of school and just watching all the bonus features. And that's something I've really tried to 
kind of stick to. And so as far as, you know, getting into the kind of nitty gritty and craft stuff of how movies are made, I'm actually going to talk about a movie that you mentioned a little while ago, Brennan, and that's War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, which is one of my favorite movies of the decade. It was my favorite movie of 2017 when it came out. And that was one that I really just got invested and kind of really seriously looked into, you know, how did they put this together? Like where are all these inspirations from? And uh, Reeves commentary track is pretty interesting on it. I think uh, with the Mission Impossible movies, uh, there's a commentary track with Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie, which is the most entertaining and informative commentary track I've ever heard. So if you have Mission Impossible Fallout, check that one out. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of another step in me really wanting to learn more about what goes on other than just somebody yelling action and people running around. For sure. I think commentary tracks are, are things and even bonus features. They, they Those are things that definitely people should definitely check out more. I mean, they're so interesting. And even myself, I will say I haven't it's not something I do that often, but if I if I had a lot more free time, I definitely would want to. And it's something that I'll probably make a attempt to do a little bit more because they're just so they're so fascinating, and you can learn learn so many little details about just uh, how to make a movie and, and inspirations for film. And they're just they're so uh, enlightening to listen to, especially if it's um, by people who have such great minds. And a lot of these artists, they they really do. Um, Nick, are you a fan of watching uh, or listening to commentary tracks at all? Yeah, I, the thing I've just really got into, I feel like just everyone does it now, is just listening to podcasts and basically just listening to where people just can pick their brain, like pick each other's brains for just hours on end. Like one of the, a great uh, pod that I listen to um, is, I mean, The Ringer is a, just a wonderful website and they have so many great podcasts. But one of the, my favorite uh, podcasts in there is the Big Picture, the Big Picture with um, Sean Fennessy, and he kind of talks about. Just he just brings in directors every Friday and talks about films like recently released films that he loves, and he just brought on James Gray to talk about Ad Astra, and they just they just talked for like an hour and a half just on like film in general and like what they see and why and why James Gray even just makes films to begin with. Um, so just like stuff like that, just yeah, it, like Colin said, it's more than people flying around and punching. It's like you kind of understand why people make things to begin with or why they want to be artists. And it just makes everything a lot more human. And that's, I mean, it sound kind of, sounds kind of sappy to say, but it's true. It's just, it's really great to kind of take a peek behind the curtain there. And um, yeah, I, I recommend people seek out those things as much as possible. Cause you just, it just always helps to understand what really intelligent people who make great films are thinking about when they do these things. Um, and you always learn something. So yeah, it's really, really good stuff. Yeah, they can also be really entertaining too. Uh, so one of my favorite commentary tracks is on the original Spider-Man movie. And it's uh, basically the deal was J.K. Simmons and Tobey Maguire, for whatever reason, couldn't record with the cast originally. So there's a commentary track that's just those two just making jokes about the movie for the entire two hours. <laughs> and I've hardly ever had that much fun watching a movie. And um, there, another another great one that... I've watched so many times. It's it's really infamous at this point, but it's the the Armageddon um, uh, 
discussion where it's just Ben Affleck just kind of roasting the whole movie the whole time. This is like right in like the heat of when like the first time Ben Affleck was like the biggest star in the world. And he's just like he's just shitting on Michael Bay the whole time. And he's like, I just don't understand why they would bring up drillers into space. That's just really fucking stupid. <laughs> like he's basically he's basically saying everything except I took this movie for the paycheck. Um it's just oh it's so funny. I mean it's it's really funny just to kind of see the other side of it where you have James Gray over here talking about why he makes films and what that means about him as a human. Then you have Ben Affleck just, just dunking on Michael Bay for two hours. It's just, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds pretty funny. And uh, Colin kind of going back to that Spider-Man one. That's definitely something I got to check out hundred um, percent. But I mean, that's, that's just the beautiful thing about it. There's so much to explore, as I said earlier. And just when you think you know it all, there's just so much more, in this medium to, to explore. And it, it's so much fun. Um, I want to thank you guys a lot for coming on, uh, Nick Collins, such a great time. And I hope that our listeners kind of got a good kind of peek behind the curtain and, uh, kind of a little bit of a look into our, in our minds and kind of some of the movies that inspired us. So this was a great time. Thank you guys so much for coming on and, uh, see y'all next time. <laughs> <laughs>